Welcome to Questioning Your Answers podcast, where we explore beauty and transform our narratives. Today we're going to consider the resurrection, this surprising event that opens up unimaginable possibilities. And specifically, we're going to look at what is its relevance to your life. In our previous meditation on the cross, we considered what the story of Jesus has in common with ancient myths. There were many stories of dying and rising gods. And we also, very importantly, considered in what aspects does the story of Jesus subvert these ancient myths. Isn't it amazing that God would enter our stories and and our narratives and and become an actor within this story, within this narrative, so that he can open up possibilities of meaning from the inside. And so today we're going to also look what does the what did the myths say about resurrection? You know, where did their idea of arising gods come from? And how does the resurrection of Jesus differ, but also what it has in common with those ancient stories? Now, René Girard, in his uh, analysis of his ancient origin myths, tells us that the community in crisis, a community that's on the verge of being overwhelmed by chaos, uh, there's a momentum that grows within this chaos until eventually they choose a scapegoat, a person to exile or a person to execute, by which the whole community... um, has a kind of cathartic release within that murder. And as soon as the sacrifice, this sacred violence has taken place, peace descends on the community. A new order is established as the chaos dissipates. But that narrative of course, had to be repeated over and over because chaos would come back to the community and they would remember what solved the problem the first time. Now, that moment of just after the the sacrifice, just after the murder, that moment in which peace descends onto the community that is the experience that then would lead them to think about their victim in a different way. Because something about this sacrifice saved our community. Something about this murder brought peace. And so the very one that they demonized and murdered, they would then become aware that maybe something divine has happened here so that God is no longer angry, that chaos no longer reigns, that that peace has descended on the community. And so 
because of that experience of peace, they would now begin to tell stories about their sacrifice being either divinely inspired or that God himself was somehow present within that sacrifice that brought peace. So up to that stage, we can see that there's a lot of similarities with the story of Jesus. You know, just after the crucifixion, the crowds calm down. Peace descends on this community in turmoil and everyone returns to their homes. Up to this stage, everything's the same. But something <laughs> radically new is about to break through in the human story, in the, in, in the story of Jesus. And I want to use four categories uh, by which to examine the meaning of this event because you see it's the interpretation of these events that are different. There have been people who have been executed and sacrificed throughout history, even people who were crucified throughout history. The event itself is not the same but the interpretation that Jesus brings to this event is what radically transforms uh, the story. And so Jean-Luc Marion spoke about something he called the saturated phenomena. It's an event, an experience of an event that is so large, so full, so saturated that we are incapable of processing it fully. It, you know, that's what he means by saturation. It saturates our capacity to see, to perceive, to understand, to interpret. It saturates it and then overflows. And he used four categories by which he described a saturated event. And I want to apply those four characteristics, those four aspects to the event of the resurrection. So the, the first point that he makes about um, saturated phenomena is that it is unforeseeable. It's unexpected. It's a, a, a surprise. So in what way, obviously, if we just read the actual accounts of the disciples seeing Jesus or in his resurrected body, the, the first response is surprise. The first response is, we did not expect this. Yet then, further on, you know, in 1 Corinthians, I think it was 15 verse 4, it says that he was raised according to the scriptures. <laughs> but that is only retrospectively as they allowed the amazement and the surprise to transform their interpretation of scripture that they could return to those scriptures and actually say, 
wow, it was in accordance with what was foreseen. But how does the resurrection, uh, how is it the fulfillment of Scripture? Uh, and why was it such a surprise if it was according to what was <laughs> uh, prophesied and understood? The Old Testament actually is very, uh, you know, very economical in its, uh, um, in what it says about resurrection. There are a few hints and a few vague scriptures here and there uh, that could possibly be interpreted as resurrection. Um, the most explicit scripture we, uh, about resurrection is actually found in Daniel. And in Daniel, you know, during this time of foreign oppression, of injustice, of, of, of exile, the expectation for resurrection is a time of judgment. That maybe in this life, the injustice and our enemies haven't got what they deserve. But we have this hope that God would raise the righteous and they would shine like stars. And we also have the hope that these unjust uh, people would also get what they deserve. So that Daniel is the most explicit in speaking about the resurrection, followed by a judgment in which the righteous are separated from the unrighteous. The victims are separated from the victimizers. The victims are vindicated and the victimizers are get what they deserve. That, that was the expectation for resurrection. It was also a an expectation that was eschatological in terms of this would be something that happens at the very end of human history. It's not something that happens sporadically each time a person dies in, in that first understanding, but rather at the end of the age, at the end of, the, uh, of human time on earth. That is where God would raise the dead, the judgment would occur, etc. The resurrection of Jesus is a surprising twist, uh, not just a confirmation of that expectation, but a transformation of that expectation, not a, just a fulfillment of their desire for, uh, for what the resurrection should be, but a transformation of desires, a, a reinterpretation of what resurrection is all about. Because in the resurrection, yes, this event does vindicate the victim. It, it unveils that the victim was innocent. But there's a surprising twist, as we see in, uh, um, in the books, book of Acts specifically, when Peter starts speaking about the resurrection, 
there is forgiveness offered to the unrighteous and the victimizers. This event is not a precursor to judgment, but rather it, it is the judgment. It is a vindication of victims and it is an invitation. And this is what is new about this story. It's an invitation for both the righteous and the unrighteous to be reconciled. Both the victims and vi victimizers to be reconciled. That expectation is not clear within the Old Testament. It's a surprising twist within this story. So we can see that the resurrection of Jesus is unforeseeable. Uh, let me say it in a different way. Any event that is overwhelming, you know, think of the death of a loved one. Even if the loved one is sick and the family expects, they have some kind of expectation that they don't have long, when the actual event happens, it is still, in a sense, surprising because it's overwhelming. And so the, the resurrection of Jesus, whatever they expected, when they encountered him, they were surprised. Um, so uh, how, how is it surprising? There's the vindication, not only of the victims but also of the victimizers and interestingly in in the resurrection it's not only the victimizers that are called to repentance but also the victims now we can understand why victimizers would be called to repentance but why why call victims to repentance because they too have allowed violence to form them. You see, God has an identity, a freedom in mind for us that is not linked to an identity of either victim or victimizer. He's calling us once again to be reformed in the image of the one who loves us and adores us. Uh, calling victims too, to let go of the violence that have formed them. Um, another way in which the resurrection of Jesus is surprising and unexpected is nowhere through the Old Testament, the, the story leading up to this culmination, nowhere did we expect that God himself would suffer and be our victim. <laughs> no way did we expect that God would enter this story so intimately, so deeply, that he would experience the depth of the reality of being human to that extent. So that's a twist. That's something new in this story. Um, but let's move on. So saturated phenomena the first thing it's unexpected it's surprising and through all the accounts of the disciples seeing the resurrected jesus that is clear they are surprised in fact in the book of mark it's mark 16 it says 
terror and amazement gripped them. Let's move on to the second aspect of saturated phenomena, and Jean-Luc Marion calls that uh, aspect unbearable. In other words, this is not a, an experience, an event that we just um, absorb and process and move on. Rather, it's an event that destabilizes us. It, it breaks through and it's more than what we are able to process, more than what we are able to express. And we see that in many of the stories uh, throughout the Gospels. Even the language becomes kind of fragmentary. It becomes kind of uh, contradictory in, in terms of they seeing something that's not there. They experience the presence of one who is absent. They, and again, the, the words that are used are terror, um, amazement disbelief but it is this very unbearable experience of unbelief that leads to a new kind of faith you see faith is faith happens when amazement matures <laughs> it's a response to this unbearable overwhelming experience Faith is not something I just logically work out what is acceptable for me to believe. That's fine. To love the Lord your God with all your mind is part of this process. But this faith is a gift that comes to me as I am exposed to something that's larger than my capacity to simply process and categorize etc and so in both in mark and in john we see that mary and her company goes to the grave very early in mark it says the sun had just written in john it's a bit different it says it was still dark so i think the point that they're trying to make is they went as early as possible yet they they are too late <laughs> Something happened before the actual event of the resurrection. And what they encounter, even as you know, Mary starts speaking to, to what she thought was the gardener, uh, and she doesn't recognize him as Jesus. And, and there's many beautiful things we can say about it, but maybe one of the reasons none of them none of these stories recognize Jesus immediately is because this event does not fit into our frame of reference of what is possible. We've just seen our friend, we've just seen our Lord murdered, we've buried his body, we know he is dead. To see him and hear him speak to us is impossible. And so because this event does not fit within their frame of reference. They, they cannot recognize it. We've often seen this even in, uh, um, 
you know, going about and teaching in different areas, people are highly skilled in taking whatever they hear and transforming it into something that confirms what they already believe. Uh, the resurrection of Jesus confronts us, not as an event that comes to confirm what you already believe, but as an event that comes to shatter your structures of interpretation, your framework of belief. <laughs> it comes to open you up to possibilities not imagined yet. And therefore it has to be unbearable because it doesn't fit <laughs> within our current framework, within our current concepts. That brings us neatly to the third aspect of saturated phenomena. And Jean-Luc Marion calls it unnameable. Basically, it's an event that breaks through all the boundaries of our language and, uh, and our conceptual understanding. It doesn't simply fit within it. it. It is something that confounds language. And this too we can see in the text. Um, people who actually, you know, go into the literary examination, uh, modern literary criticism of the text, would often say these, you know, these stories are so fragmentary. And in effect, that is what you would expect from a story that is true. There is no collaboration between the witnesses to get all the facts straight. The stories have this breathless amazement about him. Now, even the words in in Mark as they enter the tomb and, and they see this young man, this angel, telling them, you looking for Jesus of Nazareth, the one who was crucified, he's risen. Now, that immediately allows them it exposes them to the fact that this Jesus is once again present. He's not dead. He's risen. He is present in a different mode of presence. But then at the same time, he says he is not here. He is risen. He's not here. It's a presence that we don't possess. It's a presence that we don't nail down. Um, the same kind of thing happens when, you know, in the encounter with Mary where she's grasping for him and, and Jesus said that, don't hold on to me. Uh, you know, I will ascend to my father and come again. It's almost like don't try and possess this form of my physical presence. Something larger is happening here. And so within their language, we can see all the stories struggle to express a new kind of presence that is the absence of the old presence, but even more real. You know, in Luke 24, 
where those two disciples eventually also they have not recognized Jesus but as they sit around the table their eyes are opened and when their eyes are opened Jesus disappears because he is no longer present in a bodily form separate from themselves but there's a burning presence within them we can see these texts struggling to find words to wrap around a phenomena that is larger than the concepts we've developed up to now and that brings us to our last um you know in john 21 verse 25 he says it so clearly it says if if we can fill the world with books we would not be able <laughs> to tell of all that jesus did and meant for them so the fact that it is something that cannot be contained within language doesn't mean we've got nothing to say about it it means that what we can say about it is inexhaustible the resurrection is a source of new meaning new life new possibility that is inexhaustible and that brings us to our last point um, unconstitutable is how uh, Marion describes that and that means that we can't neatly get hold of this experience and this event formulate it constitute it and make it part of our doctrine you know another thing that we believe this is what his death means this is what the resurrection means and we neatly compile it and constitute it as something that we master now the resurrection is not a theme you master <laughs> it's not an event that you simply grasp and move on i do not generate a faith within myself and decide okay i will believe in the resurrection rather this is an event that has you encountered the resurrected jesus it transforms you in the act of seeing it the it, it destabilizes you it, it, it breaks apart your framework of interpretation your references and it offers you a gift that is larger than your capacity to receive but in opening yourself up to this gift of faith it begins to make room for itself in what way is the resurrection of jesus relevant to your life this is an event that wants to communicate this simple truth that if you can simply remain open to amazement open to astonishment god is ready to surprise you 
God is ready to take you and give to you <laughs> what you never knew you even desired. God is ready to transform your expectations and fulfill them in surprising ways. Resurrection life is a life in which we remain open to the surprising, unbearable, amazing, ungraspable wonder of being in relationship with the God for whom all things are possible. Mm. Now, some of you might wonder, you know, is the resurrection the actual historic event? And again there, I would say um, yes and no. It, in what way do we speak about this historic event? In what way is it historic? In what way is it eschatological? In what way is it the internal experience? I remember... Um, at one a number of years ago, maybe 10 years ago, as I started reading scripture in a new way, in a way in which I did not need for all the events to be historical truth, but I was open to, to the fact that the authors wanted to communicate the truth uh, and sometimes they invented stories, sometimes they uh, were creative in reinterpreting actual events. And during that time, I was listening to a book by Bart Ehrman uh, on the resurrection of Christ. And his whole argument was basically that uh, these could have been the kind of psychological experiences of people in deep grief. And, you know, I'm, I listen to things that contradict even my own beliefs because for me, that is part of even strengthening my faith is to see things from different perspectives. And I remember at one stage during this book, he just opened up. I think it was the story in John where Mary and them went very early in the morning to anoint the body. And as he just read, was listening to an audio book, as, as he just read through this account of how they encountered the, the living Christ, I was overwhelmed with the realization that I find this witness utterly convincing. <laughs> I was reminded of the many times in which I encountered the living Christ. And so I have no problem with actually believing in the literal bodily resurrection of Jesus. Yet it is more than a historic event. It is, it is a living presence. It's a living Christ that continues to open us up to the wonder 
of a God who, for whom all things are possible. Bless you, friends. Thank you for joining us today. And please don't forget to subscribe on our website, qyourapodcast.com.